Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. It may be seen as one of Michigan's most haunted places, but do we have the wrong idea about the whole thing? We started to do things like electric shock therapy, insulin shock therapy, a lot of these things that sound barbaric today, but at the time were really cutting edge and really did help people. The Eloise Asylum draws tens of thousands of visitors to its Westland haunted house this time of year. But there is more to it than just a haunt. This is The Daily J. I'm Zach Clark. The sprawling facility at Eloise off of Michigan Avenue has not been functional in over 40 years, but activity still continues. My colleague Annie Scaramazzino and I went to Westland to check out the property, which began with a tour with Amanda Kopanen, the paranormal coordinator of Eloise Asylum. Annie, we've been a lot of places now, and in all the places we've been, this one is far different than the rest. Yeah, this one was definitely a little more complicated, and I think that in putting our list together of the areas of Michigan and Detroit that we wanted to cover for this project that we put Eloise, you know, on the list, and at least I can speak for myself, not really thinking about the history in its entirety and the meaning behind that place. And I think that in researching and learning more about it, it humbled me for sure. And it gave me a new perspective on the hospital itself, but also the history and the patients that were there and the amount of respect that they deserve and that I hope that we were able to approach in the right way with this episode. A lot of that history is gone. But I got to tell you, Annie, walking through the administrative building like we did, it was something else. 1839 is when Eloise started. It was 102 acres when it ended. It was 77 buildings on the property. There's four buildings still left. We're in one. This building's 145,000 square feet. They took so many blocks, cinder blocks, cement blocks, that there was a shortage that they had to import bricks from Italy and other parts of the world. Because they use too much of it around here because yes. it's all this building? Not only this building, but the surrounding building. Well, that's what I mean. There were so many buildings on the property. This whole building is an administrative building. So they would pull you in for so many hours to see what level you were at, and they would ship you to one of the 75 buildings. Unless you were going to be here shorter, or if they were overpacked, then they stayed here. You can see all the layers of paint. Yeah. 1979 is when they officially shut the building down and they were still doing teacher trainings, WIC programs, all of that in this building. I was actually very surprised that, honestly, the vast majority of that building is maintained in a sense of what it once was. And you definitely get that feeling when you're walking through it. Well, I mean, we saw soap dispensers that were still full. We saw paper towels still hanging. 
Yeah, I definitely had an abandoned feel, and you know that's what it was for a long time. We spoke to Tyler Mall. He's from the museum in Wayne. The different things in that property, I don't want to call it a hospital because it was so much more than that. And ultimately what happened, according to Tyler, is that Eloise became a fully functioning city. There would be at one point in time, at its height, no reason if you didn't want to, or if you couldn't, for a lot of people, no reason to leave the property. Yeah, I mean, it was, for all intents and purposes, its own city. Kind of gives you a different view entirely of how that all operated. The other thing, too, when we talk about history, Tyler points this out, that a lot of the things we hear about seem, in 2022, gruesome. But I think it's important to point out that at the time, throughout the course of Eloise, they were on the cutting edge of things. The Eloise facility was regarded as being like rather forward-thinking when it came to their research and, and the types of things that they were trying. You know, something like a lobotomy, which they actually, we learned, only practiced for four years before they stopped that. You know, at the time, obviously, that was actually considered to be kind of cutting-edge technology. The county decided to move the poorhouse, which was in Detroit, so they bought this land out here in Nankin Township. And they were, you know, people that just didn't have any money or anyone to take care of them. But it also included people that had, you know, what we would call today mental issues. At the time, they didn't really treat them or know what they were. They just kind of sent these people to this place and left them there. They did use things like shackles and chains. Going into the 1880s, they start to have the first doctor on site. And he removes a lot of the chains and shackles and helps improve conditions. They raised all their own fruits, vegetables, meat. They had a cannery on site to can stuff. They even grew their own tobacco for their own cigarettes. Going into the 1920s, they start to have the first pharmaceuticals you could take. They started to do things like electric shock therapy, insulin shock therapy. A lot of these things that sound barbaric today, but at the time were really cutting edge and really did help people. Eloise had one of the first x-ray machines in the entire U.S. They were pioneers in music therapy and in art therapy. They did unfortunate things like lobotomies in rare cases, but at the time that was considered a cutting-edge treatment to actually help people. And some people did benefit from it. In the 1930s, when the stock market crashes, tons and tons of people lose their houses, lose their jobs. And that's when the population at Eloise really hits its peak. There were over 7,500 people in the poorhouse and about 3,000 in the asylum at the time. They had their own fire department, their own police department. They generated their own power, their own water. And then after World War II, things start to change a little bit. Budget cuts start to reduce their monies coming in. And throughout the 60s and 70s, you know, budgets keep getting slashed. They keep cutting more and more away from it. By the late 70s, the county cuts off funding completely. Everyone else is either transferred to a group home, a state home, or just turned out on the street. This series has been about Michigan's most haunted places, and this is where things start to get complicated. We went through and we talked to Amanda, and Amanda was extremely knowledgeable about the building. And Annie, Amanda had had a variety of experiences, and it's not per se like we talked about with Colonel Norris or Grace Whitney. The sightings, the feeling, it seemed to be more of an aura than it was really anything. There's not a lot of uniform tales here. No, and, you know, in part, I guess if we're going to try to think about the logic of that, it would be, I suppose, if I had to guess that there were so many, just thousands of people, you know, that that came through the doors of Eloise, some of which essentially spent their lives there. Other people were there and then gone at a certain point, released, that it would be, I imagine, fairly hard to track down anybody specific, you know, that came through that facility unless you knew somebody specifically from your family or something like that. 
This is the TV room area. Of all things, I don't go in that area. I get very nauseated. The back of my teeth start to water up. I start to like drool and I want to puke. And it happens a lot. You see how it echoes, right? Yeah. So you'll be in another area and you'll hear people coming. You come out to see who it is and it's no one there. So that's what I was going to ask. Like when you guys do these, is there a commonality as far as what you see, who you see, theories like that? There's a lot of residual energy in the building. You will hear conversations. You will hear the footsteps. I have not got any negative energy. They like to play hide and seek with our cat balls. They're just curious. We get a lot of activity in this room. So they'll turn a flashlight on, turn a flashlight off. But again, nothing dark. Sophia, we see a lot of. Steve, we see a lot of. Hear a lot of. We get different names. Sometimes we don't get the same name each time. There's a lot of different ghosts. So we are documenting. And Sophia died in hydrotherapy. She had a seizure. We have a lot of different records, so we try to find their names. Look at that chair. That is a trigger chair. It's a what? Trigger chair. We have gotten it rocking by itself. This is the original chair, the building. So you'd walk, you'd walk in and it would just be rocking by itself? Mm-hmm. There'll be nights though, you won't get nothing. That's like fishing though, right? Sometimes, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you have a good day fishing, sometimes you don't. With Eloise, there are a segment of the population that just flat out thinks that this is wrong, it's insensitive, and there's a reason for that. It's not just this willy-nilly get-off-my-lawn type thing. Right. Well, again, I mean, we can't really reiterate it enough that it's got a really complicated history. And I mean, because of the vast amount of patients that pass through those doors over the years, these are people's family members. These are people's friends. These are, you know, these are real people. You know, the patients at Eloise were very much real people. And so, you know, it it becomes complicated when, you know, you start thinking about these people more in the abstract as just kind of like a general place that's haunted, as opposed to this was a hospital where people who had mental illness were being cared for. I think it contributes to the stigmatization of mental health and mental health treatment to suggest that psychiatric institutions are haunted. What is it that causes people to think that some place is haunted? Well, it can only be that mental health and mental health illness is scary. Well, mental health illness is no scarier than anything else. Why is it that mental health institutions are the focus of scary, spooky stories? I object to it because I think that it is disrespectful to the people who were patients there and the people who work there and that we need to treat mental health illness seriously and not have it be a tour for a paranormal type of experience. We're never going to get rid of the stigma that goes along with mental health if we continue to treat it this way. When I hear that somebody has created a paranormal experience at a psychiatric facility, I think that's a step backwards from trying to reduce stigma. That was the voice of journalist Steve Luxenberg. There is more to Steve's objection than what meets the eye. Steve's not just some random person. Steve has a connection here. And I got to tell you, when he was telling the story about how he found his aunt at the end, my jaw dropped. That's one of the things that makes this so complicated the stigma that comes with mental health and mental illness. Clearly, when you look back at the history of Eloise, I mean, there was effort 
to erase Annie from existence. In conversations with someone at the hospital, a doctor and a social worker, we weren't privy to the conversation. And afterwards, the social worker said, so what do you know about the sister that your mom mentioned? And we both looked at her in shock and said, no, mom's an only child, because that's what she's always said. And she's told elaborate stories about being an only child. But it turned out that she had told the doctor that when she, my mom, was four and her sister was two, her sister went away to an institution. She did not name any institution. Then six months later, my brother, who had taken responsibility for had the mail forwarded to him, he called and said one day, well, I got a letter from the cemetery. There's a third grave listed to someone named Annie. Do you know who that is? And I said, well, that must be the sister that mom talked about. I'll make some calls. I'll, I'll do the reporter thing. And I got to the cemetery, and one thing led to the other. But the bottom line is, is that my mom was not four, and her sister was not two. My mom was 23, and her sister was 21 when she was admitted in 1940 to Eloise. A lot of families did the same thing with family members that they had who were suffering from mental illness, and they just didn't know really what to do. And a lot of it was out of a fear of the unknown and, and not knowing how to help their family members and maybe we can send them to this place and they can help them. A lot of it was, you know, from shame, from a, a neighborhood looking at this family, like something wrong was there. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's 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 complex. And, you know, so much of the research that I was sort of doing just through looking around on social media, as I tend to do, um, through things like Facebook groups and whatnot, you know, there's a lot of dedicated Facebook groups that are specific to Eloise. You know, if you look at those groups, there's a lot of different kinds of posts in there. Some of them are people who are looking for family members that they know were there, but they're having a hard time tracking down paperwork. With Steve's situation, I mean, Steve is a journalist. He writes for The Washington Post. He dug into things that you couldn't just assume. I mean, we're talking about historical records, school, medical. So we really we get to meet his Aunt Annie. Yeah. And he also got to meet her because he didn't know her, you know, in his life. And so his book, paints a lot of different pictures. And that book is Annie's Ghost, A Journey into a Family Secret. And it really was. It paints a picture of Annie and and gives tribute to the life that she had that a lot of people didn't get to know about. She didn't have mental health problems when she was younger. She had mental health problems starting around the age of 19 or 20. She went into Eloise when she was 21. I managed to get her school records. It showed that she was on what they call the borderline of developmentally disabled. She did go to school. She went to a school. The name in in that age is a name we wouldn't use today, the School for Crippled Children. She was very chatty and verbal. She was diagnosed with what was a kind of catch-all of schizophrenia. I'm not even sure that schizophrenia is the right diagnosis. I gave her records to many experts, and they were doubtful that that would be the diagnosis that she had today. But she did exhibit issues frequently getting up in the night and she was screaming and moaning and she wouldn't settle down. And my grandmother finally said in one memorable line in the report, I just can't deal with this anymore. Help me. She was what was called a custodial patient because she spent her entire adult life there until she died at the age of 53 in 1972. And I don't think Annie was happy. I don't think she was terribly unhappy, but I think that she had a pretty limited life in the institution. You know, Annie, we talk about takeaways, and usually we talk about the way we felt leaving the building, right? I've thought about a lot of different things when it comes to the hauntings and whatnot, and i got to give credit to the people at Eloise. They've taken a lot of time 
to make sure that they're doing as much as they think they can to not feed into the stigma. Now, people like Steve are going to say the best thing you can do is stop. They've gone to great lengths to try to be as sensitive as they feel they can be. The building's been operating now as a haunted attraction for a couple of years, and another one of their sort of arguments is that if they hadn't purchased and moved into that building and sort of cleaned it up, it would have been completely knocked down. So that's definitely one of the things that they sort of say as the counter-argument for people who say what they're doing there isn't exactly, you know, quote-unquote sensitive. It's sort of like telling horror stories as opposed to telling the stories of what actually happened at Eloise. So they do really specific things like try to make sure that none of their actors are walking around in pajamas like a mental health patient might have been and, you know, kind of getting down to the the nitty gritty of the specificities there. They did tell us that they try to take care in making sure what they're doing is not compromised, more or less. But again, people like Steve would look at the haunted attraction and say what's the best move here is to not be doing it at all. Thanks all around to Andy Scaramazzino, Tyler Mall, Steve Luxenberg, and Amanda Kopitin for making this story possible. This podcast would not be possible without the work of our digital team. Check out WWJNewsRadio.com for the top local news stories on demand 24-7. Do you have questions, comments, or concerns about the Daily J? Send us an email to dailyj at odyssey.com. That's dailyj at A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Our original theme music is written and produced by Ozone Music and Sound in Southfield. I'm Zach Clark, and this is The Daily J. Thanks for listening. It's Halloween. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.